Welcome back to the Florida Travel Fanatics podcast. I'm Clark. I'm Heather. And this is episode 21, Off the Beaten Path, part two. Before we get into the main episode topic, we want to give you guys an overall update on our podcast and what our plans are for the future. This is our 21st episode, so we're growing up now. Our podcast is 21. Our podcast can drive by drinks at the bar, all those important things. <laughs> at 25, our podcast gets lower car insurance. Um, I recently had the opportunity to attend a really neat podcast industry event called PodFest in Orlando. I learned a lot, met a lot of fun and interesting people, and learned a lot about the industry and the state of the podcasting universe. Here's some interesting things I learned at the Expo I think you might find interesting. There are actually 350,000 active podcasts worldwide. Now, you'd have to live a long time to listen to even, even any of those. So there's a lot to listen to. Thank you for those of you listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, most people that are active podcast listeners on average listen to about eight podcasts, which fits in about what I listen to. So that's interesting data. You've got a lot of podcasts to choose from, so we appreciate you listening to ours. We hope the concept of our podcast will be something people would want to listen to, and so far we have found you a willing audience, so thank you. We're always looking for suggestions for episode topics, so if you've got an idea, please contact us on our favorite so- on your favorite social media platform, and as always, our, our links will be in the episode notes as usual. Podcast listening as a whole is still growing at a rate of about 10% a year. One of the neat things is that podcast demographics exactly match the demographics of society, including age, race, gender, income level, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which means it's truly a mainstream technology. When it first started, it was hard to do, and it was just a bunch of nerdy tech people playing around with a new technical toy. Not anymore. Uh, podcasting is mainstream. And as a group, the Gen Z generation is actually the fastest growing demographic. Gen Z is people born between 1997 and 2012. They like to consume media, and those are the youngsters that are uh, driving all the short-form video, especially TikTok. As the industry progresses and grows, uh, there's a continuing development of new podcast software and hardware, and artificial intelligence is starting to play a big role in, the, in podcast editing and production. And that's no surprise. AI is beginning to affect business, the world of business in all avenues. Uh, Just an FYI, for those of you that are podcasters or are thinking about becoming a podcaster, it's relatively easy to do. We record our podcast using two Samson Q2U microphones recorded into a Zoom PodTrack P4 recorder, and I edit on my MacBook. I've started out using GarageBand, but I've moved over to Adobe Audition, which has a similar look and feel to Adobe Premiere Pro, which is what I use to edit our YouTube videos. In the future, we'll be taking our existing gear and using it as a mobile studio and doing episodes on the road and upgrading our home studio to Rode pod mics into a Rodecaster Pro 2 Pro 2 console. Our podcast is growing. For example, we've quadrupled our downloads between November of 2022 and last month, March of 2023. Thanks for listening and thanks for telling your friends. We spend about eight hours researching, writing, recording, and editing each episode in addition to traveling in you know, taking in all the sites so that we have some good information for you. And we're really glad it's worth it. Our podcast is all about showing you how to have a great travel experience in Florida, and we're glad you're enjoying it. In the near future, we'll be doing some interviews with other podcasters, bloggers, and travel professionals. We will be putting some video podcasts up on YouTube as well for those of you who might prefer that. YouTube itself is going to be big into podcasting this year. And if you're a YouTube fan, you'll be seeing a lot more of that coming out on YouTube. 
If you're looking for a good new podcast app, check out one called goodpods.com. I heard about this on a podcast about podcast. Uh, they've got a great mobile app and a great website, which makes it really easy to use when you're sitting at a desktop computer. Maybe you're, you're at work uh, and you can put your podcast in based on recommendations. They'll recommend more and you can share your podcast information uh, with your friends. It's especially good if you want to listen, you know, to something other than on your phone. The majority of you, by the way, are listening on are listening to our podcast on the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone or Spotify on your iPhone or Android. But try Good Pods if you want to try something different. And you can have more than you can have more than one podcast app on your phone at one time. I, for example, use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Good Pods all at the same time for different reasons, mostly just to test out how it works with our podcast. We've got a great method for you to support our show financially for as little as $3 a month. Uh, any contributions to that will be greatly appreciated. Uh, there's a link in the episode notes where you sign up for that. It's a monthly contribution. It's provided through Buzzsprout, who was, is our podcast hosting company. And we'd like to thank our most recent new contributor to our show, Jim from Maryland. Thanks, Jim, for the support. In this episode's Florida Travel News, if you keep an eye on weather in Florida, you saw reports of a rare event in Fort Lauderdale called a train. In a 24-hour span, a staggering 25.91 inches of rain fell at the Fort Lauderdale airport. This is a new record for the state of Florida. The previous record was a 24-inch rainfall in Key West in 1980 that was during Hurricane Jean. The preliminary figure of 25.91 inches of daily rainfall obliterates the 24-hour rain record for Fort Lauderdale of 14.59 inches, which was set in 1979. The thousand-year storm left some parts of the county with up to three feet of standing water, which is 0.9 meters. So two feet of rain in a day, how on the earth is that even possible? So basically, it was a tsunami from the skies that took everyone by surprise. The National Weather Service expected up to six inches of rain, but ultimately at least one location at the airport saw at least four times that. Much of the rain at the weather stations, up to 26 inches, fell in six hours. Other locations in the city and surrounding county received more than 11 inches. Florida is prone to storms that dump large sums of rain. It happens when you're on a peninsula surrounded by three sides of water. Frankly, it's complicated. Um, several factors aligned in just the wrong way, and it made this storm virtually stall over the city for hours. Ahead and alongside this front, the winds converged from two different directions, bringing moist air and creating a slow-moving thunderstorm along the coast and the offshore. This conflicting weather pattern interacted in a way that can be difficult to anticipate. The rare and extreme rainfall event hit South Florida and occurred just two months away from the start of our Atlantic hurricane season that's on June 1st. If you're coming to Florida and have reservations already and you're going to be in the Fort Lauderdale area, double check your reservations to make sure that there was no damage to the hotel that you're planning on staying. And be aware that the availability of gas is limited in some areas based on trucks coming in and tanks that have maybe been compromised by water. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season runs from June 1st to November 30th. And the areas covered include Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico, and the Caribbean Sea. I had never heard the exact definition of a hurricane and wanted to let you guys know what it is. It's a tropical cyclone with a maximum sustained winds of 74 miles an hour or higher. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting, just makes perfect sense that you see on the on the radar, that circling, but I've never really thought about it as a cyclone. cyclone. Yeah, I think they use the term cyclone in Asia. 
Mm-hmm. They, I don't, is, is it a myth that it goes the other direction? Or is that it's below the hemisphere? Someone please email us and tell us if it spins the other way. But you don't hear the term hurricane out in like Okinawa in Japan in the South Pacific. They refer to that as a cyclone. But it's I believe it's the same event. But don't quote me. We're not. We're travel experts, not weather experts. As of April 13, 2023, the Colorado State University Tropical Meteorology Project predicts a slightly below normal Atlantic hurricane season, which, yay. yay. Um, the team forecasts 13 named storms, and that includes six hurricanes, two of which they say might be major hurricanes. I think one thing that's really interesting that I learned in this just researching hurricanes a little bit is that they um, choose hurricane names several years in advance. And if a hurricane is particularly deadly or costly, then that name is retired. I wonder if they'll retire Ian. I bet that bet they will. I bet, yeah, they yeah. probably will. Yeah. They probably it's kind of will. A, kind of a curse or a hex if you reuse an old bad hurricane name, I guess. And if all the names are used that year, there's a supplemental list of names that will be used after that. There's only 21 names that they are 21 letters that they will use for hurricane naming. They leave out Q, U, X, Y, and Z because there's a lack of usable names. Xavier, maybe? for Yeah, you kind of run out of Xs. And hopefully you won't get through 26 hurricanes anyway per year. So in 1953, to avoid the repetitive use of the names, the system was revised so that storms would be given exclusively female names, which I know that a lot of people were probably offended by that. This mimicked a habit of old naval meteorologists who named storms after their wives or girlfriends, much in the way ships at sea were named by sailors after women and the wives they missed. A weatherman in Australia is credited with being the first person to give a tropical storm a female name. It's a good Jeopardy question, isn't it? Isn't it, though? Yeah. yeah. In 1979, the system was revised again to include both male and female names, alternating between masculine and feminine. There are separate lists for tropical storms and hurricanes that form in the Eastern Pacific and in other parts of the world, but we are hurricanes with these lists. So one thing in our favor this year that might help us out is El Nino. While we've been in a a La Nina pattern for the last three years, we expect to make a complete 180 degree shift as we head into summer. The El Nino conditions are are known to help suppress tropical activity. And that's basically wind shear and pushing the winds around. And tropical systems don't like wind shear because it causes them to fall apart and weaken. There are normally no less tropical storms. And if the predictions are accurate, El Nino is quickly developing in the coming months and will be a welcome news for hurricane season. So by no means does it mean that hurricane season should keep you from planning a Florida vacation. We talked about this in another episode, probably one of our first. Just be aware of the dates associated with hurricanes, so June 1st through November 30th, and keep your plans fluid. We've talked before about East Coast travel versus West Coast travel in previous episodes, so flexibility is key. Also, consider travel insurance should you have to make changes. But if you've booked to stay in Orlando and you know you have travel insurance you could either shift over to the east coast or the i mean to the the west coast or go to the panhandle so definitely you know keep that in mind yeah like if you got a we talk about this a lot but it's important for florida for travel and florida is notorious for hurricanes for good reason you know if there's a category one hurricane going through the keys and it's going to just hit the lower part of the keys or maybe a little bit of south florida and you're going to jacksonville you have nothing to worry about you're a Mm -hmm. long way florida's a big state you're a long way from that so you can sort of dodge around a little bit i think some people say oh hurricane and they panic and you have to keep an eye on it but there's no reason necessarily to panic but to your point heather flexibility is key and as much as i hate paying for travel insurance it makes a lot of sense during hurricane season if you're driving from even if you're driving from the panhandle to key west 
you're looking at 12 hours of driving. So you're you are literally 12 hours away. It's like driving from the mid-Atlantic to it's, Maine or Canada. It's like almost yeah. the length of California, driving to California. Exactly. It's a long way. It's a long yeah. way. Well, on to one of my favorite subjects, food. Miami has a nationally famous wine and food festival, 11 Michelin-starred restaurants, several James Beard Award semifinalists, and a new restaurant opening probably every 15 seconds. In its latest issue, Bon Appetit magazine has applauded those accomplishments by proclaiming Miami as the food city of the year. Apparently, as the magazine editors traveled around the country looking for new places to eat, they admitted that one place they kept wanting to return to was Miami. Bon Appetit magazine describes Miami as an always evolving city that buzzes with opportunity. If you're looking for good food and fun activities all in one place, check out the Formula One Miami Grand Prix. It's actually returning this year. The race will take place May 5th through the 7th, and it's going to offer attendees a culinary experience like no other. Some of Miami's top chefs and most popular restaurants will offer all of the South Florida yumminess, and uh, more than 65 establishments have signed up to participate this year. From several James Beard award-winning chefs to local and minority-owned restaurants, each is going to have their own dishes and cuisine for those attending the race at the Miami International Autodrome Campus. In this episode's Florida Travel Tips... The Brightline Trains announced tickets going on sale for the new Orlando Airport Terminal. This is actually a very big deal. We're going to take a few minutes and talk about this and tell you why. Tickets go on sale in May next month, and train service begins sometime this summer pending final inspection by the Federal Railroad Administration. Those of you who are in South Florida or have traveled in South Florida extensively are probably already quite familiar with the Brightline Trains, but the rest of the state and certainly those outside Florida have not heard about it. The U.S. railroad system is a company or agency called Amtrak. It's kind of mired in a political situation all the time where the Congress wants it to be financially independent but require them to run routes that aren't profitable. So as you end up with a government-run railroad, which is not great all the time. It's certainly not as good as the rail service you'd see in Europe or Asia. It is very popular in the corridor between Washington, D.C. and Boston. And right now, it's still a great way to get from Miami to Tampa. We had, Our daughter was at uh, Florida International in Miami, and we used it for her to get back and forth from Miami to Tampa. Yeah, still convenient. And, and not throwing any shade on people that work for Amtrak. It's just one of those half government, half commercial things that just has never really been what it probably could be. Uh, there are some good lines in other places of the country to go on. So it's don't. You know, take Amtrak if you need to, but Brightline is the finally the Euro- European level, Asian level tra- rail system that American travelers have wanted for decades. It's privately owned, it's well managed, and that fi- and right now it's South Florida, and they're actually pl- have plans to run a high speed line, 180 mile an hour line uh, from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, which is a very highly trafficked area. So for those of you out there, you'll have that to look forward to. The Brightline cars, the train cars are new, they're clean. The stations themselves are are a bit of a destination unto themselves. The Brightline has been running for several years from Miami to Aventura, Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton, West Palm Beach, and now the line from West Palm all the way to the Orlando airport That's is completed. Be amazing. Uh, it's a, a big, big addition. A lot of people have been looking for that. The traffic quarter from Orlando all the way down the East Coast on 95 is probably the worst traffic section um, in the country, uh, in the state rather, and including the drivers, lots of accidents. And, you know, if you're on vacation, you're driving through a lot of stressful traffic, you don't feel like you're on vacation. If you're on a really nice train ride, you are on vacation, at least in most people's minds. Uh, this week, the news and the media, they did a, Brightline did a big reveal of the new station at the Orlando airport, which looks really nice. I'll put a link in the episode notes to a video from one of the local news stations, Channel 6, 
Pricing is fair, pretty fair. A one-way ticket from the Orlando airport to Miami will start at $79 for their basic level, which they call smart level, or $149 for their premium ticket, which provides a nicer seat and more legroom access to their premium lounge and actually a complimentary Uber ride within five miles of the station when you reach your destination. The express trains make that trip from the Orlando airport to Miami, the, the southernmost uh, station, in just under three hours. Uh, and when the local train goes, it's only three and a half hours. And that's still a lot less than driving in, under any driving. any circumstances. Yes. Uh, the train goes up to 125 miles an hour, which is 201 kilometers per hour in some sections, especially the rural areas uh, below Orlando. This is a game changer for traveling in Florida. This gives you a person coming, either living in Florida or a person traveling in Florida, a lot of options in terms of what you, you can do. For example, let's say you're coming in, in and out of the Orlando airport for, you know, a Disney or Universal trip. You'll very easily be able to jump on the Brightline train from the airport and get to South Florida. No rental car. You're avoiding I-95, tolls, traffic. The current stations are well located and never very far from the beach if you want to do a beach day. The Miami station is only three miles from the Miami cruise port. And the Aventura station is literally across the street from the very popular Aventura Mall and a mile away from a major uh, golf course there. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale station is just a few blocks from the Fort Lauderdale Riverwalk in the famous Las Olas area, where, where there's a lot of really great shops, restaurants, and bars. That's one of our favorite spots in Fort Lauderdale. So actually, for the Miami station and a free Uber ride, if you upgrade to that, you can easily get from the train, the Brightline, to the Miami cruise port. Yeah, so there's lots and lots of options in there. There's lots of things going on, too, lots of additional planning. Uh, They are going to eventually extend the lines to the Orlando Convention Center, Disney, and Universal. Universal has already committed 40 acres of property for a station there. In between Orlando and West Palm Beach, local county governments um, are lobbying for local stations. So they're seeing the Brightline train come through their county. There's no stations. Uh, Port Canaveral and Stewart are probably the first two that will pop up. Most of those stations will take about five years to get the permitting and construction and who's paying for it and all those things done. Ultimately, the line will extend all the way to Tampa, which for those of us in Tampa, like us, that'll be an amazing opportunity. Uh, But that'll probably be about 10 years before it gets all that way over. I mean, building these rail, these are brand new rail lines. They're difficult to build, expensive to build, takes a lot of drama and politics and who's paying for it and all those things to get these lines built. But it's wonderful to see this. And this will be infrastructure that we'll have for many, many decades ahead. So if you're planning a trip anywhere between Miami and Orlando this summer and certainly into the fall, take a close look at what Brightline can do for your trip. And I'll, of course, put links into information about this in the episode notes. For our main episode, we've wanted to talk about the off the beaten path. This is our part two. A couple of months ago, we did episode 17 and we talked about some other fun and random things that you can do in Florida. While doing research for that episode, we came across many more ideas that we could share with you, and we promised you another episode, and here it is. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. When we moved here in 2017, we were floored by the number and variety of different activities and places to visit in Florida that we had never heard of, and that's a big factor in why we decided to start our podcast. The best resource for uh, the off the beaten path places to go is, as usual, visit Florida.com, the website and the book or the magazine you can get from them. Uh, they've got many pages of places and links around the state with all what they, they actually describe as off the beaten path activities. One of the ones that's really interesting is Florida Dude Ranches. Uh, we were surprised we moved here. The popularity of horseback riding, of the amount of cattle ranching that goes on here. You think of cattle, you think of Texas and other states. Uh, Florida is a big beef state and a lot of ranching. And up in Ocala is a little bit of like a Kentucky where there's a lot of people that are riding and a lot of horse-related activities. That's in most mostly in central Florida. 
There's a great website we found called Trips to Discover that has a great article about the six best dude ranches in Florida. It's hard to even say dude ranches in Florida, Heather. That's like, okay, there are. Uh, whether you want an authentic cowboy adventure or a bit more of a glamping experience, that's Take gl- glamping. Glam- Heather's a glamper. That's glam. For those of you that don't know that term, glamping is glamour camping. Uh, that's the thing. You sit in a fancy tent. You're camping, but you're in a very fancy tent. And, you're definitely on an air mattress. Yeah, air yeah. mattress for sure. Nobody's sleeping on the ground with the bugs Under there. the stars. So we're going to go through all six of these just to give you an idea of what's available. And this is something that, if, this is a really great off the beaten path. If you've been to Florida before and you're looking for something different, this is these are terrific. The first one, located just about an hour outside of Orlando, Westgate River Ranch Resort and Rodeo offers guests an authentic ranch experience. Spread across 1,700 acres and overlooking the Kissimmee River, the ranch features a variety of accommodations, including one- and two-bedroom cabins and cottages, guest rooms, and suites in the main lodge, RV camping, and tent camping. Perhaps the most unique way to stay at the ranch is one of their large glamping tents. There you go, Heather. Yay. Which features climate control. Okay, we're we're going to climate control in a tent. That's that's definitely glamping. It's Florida. It's Florida. Unless it's you're hot. in the middle of yeah. the winter, nobody's you want gonna, air conditioning. Nobody's coming in the summer for that. Um, a private bathroom, ceiling fan, a microwave, a mini fridge, and comfortable beds in one of their or in one of their luxe teepees. An I actual, think a teepee would be fun. An actual teepee. <laughs> we're not making this up. An actual teepee with a bed, sleeper sofa, portable AC, microwave, mini fridge, and private bathroom in a, in a teepee. On site, there's plenty to do and see, including horseback riding, archery, airboat rides, a rodeo, fishing, bungee jumping, golf, skeet shooting, zip lining, and even a petting zoo. You can pretty much cover. You can pretty much cover everything yes. for every member of every your member family, of family with that. An hour and a half drive north of Tampa is the Happy Acres Ranch in Dunellen. Guests can stay in the middle of the action on a real working ranch. There's a variety of accommodations available, including small quarters in the barn. Um, if you have, a, you know, if you have a love for um, Yellowstone, this might, this be, might be this you. might be your experience. Yeah. Um, larger guest lodges that sleep up to six people, and even several campers um, or motorhomes uh, located throughout the property. During your stay, you can take horseback riding lessons, go on trail rides, enjoy fishing, canoeing. You can swim at Rainbow River, and the ranch is also conveniently located near the Dunellen Historic District, which has tons of quaint shops and restaurants. Rainbow River is an excellent place to kayak. And if you've ever done the Wikiwachi Springs, Wikiwachi is a very slow moving, um, lovely through the trees kayak. Yeah. kayak. Yep. We, um, we recommend that a lot. I love that one. Um, but if you want something a little more challenging, you can do Rainbow River. It's longer, it's wider, there's more to see. You can actually go tubing there, but don't, don't do any of it on a really windy day. We got into a headwind on. A very beautiful day at, when we got into the, some of the wider spots. It was like we were like it was like we were paddling uphill. 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 Yeah, um, it was, it was still a great workout and it was a lot of fun. But a great thing to do if you stay at Happy Acres Ranch. For all the horse lovers in your family, there's the Grand Oaks Resort in Weirsdale, known as America's Equestrian Resort. Here you can take a relaxing horse-drawn carriage ride around the property, take a riding lesson, or even learn to drive a carriage. There's a wide variety of accommodations to choose from, including quaint cottages, a suite at the Oak Tree Lodge, or if you're bringing along your own horse, you can stay at the Berry, which is conveniently attached to the horse stable. That sounds more like Yellowstone there, Heather. The on-site restaurant, The Bistro, is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, plus there's a gift shop, coffee shop, museum, salon, and spa, and even a church that has uh, services on Sundays. Welcome to Florida. So you'll never have to leave the resort. Weirsdale is in the heart of central Florida between the villages and Ocala. Although the Circle F Dude Ranch in Lake Wales is actually a summer camp for kids aged 6 to 16, they're also open to families on weekends throughout the year. And your experience is every bit of a camp experience you'll stay with in bunkhouse-style cabins, meals at a main lodge, 
plenty of outdoor activities. You can decide as a family whether you want to have a more relaxing laid back vacation or a fun action packed adventure since they offer everything from fishing, massages, that's me, I'll take a massage, to paintball and zip lining. At nighttime, you can enjoy hay rides, karaoke, a campfire with s'mores. It actually kind of reminds me of some of the summer camps I went to as as a kid. Yeah, it sounds know? a bit like the ones from Dirty Dancing. Too, yeah, exactly. Sometimes. Lots of activities for, for families. Lake Wales is also in the heart of Central Florida, halfway between Tampa and Vero Beach on Highway 60. So check out, um, make sure if you're there to check out a local seafood restaurant called Crazy Fish, which is one of the first restaurants we found when we were driving around from the East Coast to the West Coast. And it's just terrific food. It's a great, divey, wonderful, just local seafood place. Yeah, and fun. And it usually has it usually has a weight. So plan, yeah, crazy plan fish. Your, Definitely plan check your it day. Out. Crazy fish. For a quiet, relaxing getaway, there's the Cypress House Ranch and B and B in Bushnell, which is located on a peaceful road surrounded by beautiful greenery. The two-story B and B offers three different guest rooms that feature private bathrooms, mini fridges, and microwaves. They also offer lodging for horses in their ten-stall barn, so you can bring your horse along. You know, don't leave your horse at home, Heather, for vacation. Make sure you take it with you. A feeding and stall cleaning are even included. During your visit, you can enjoy a two-hour trail ride through the surrounding woods, where you'll have a chance to spot local wildlife such as deer, eagles, owls, and bobcats. Bushnell is right off Interstate 75, midway between Tampa and Ocala. Bushnell also has a fantastic go-kart track, which is a very popular thing in that area. They have leagues, and it's a big track like for serious go-kart people. It's not an amusement park kind of thing. I've been there for a couple work events. So if you're in Bushnell, check that out. Located in the middle of the Florida River Country, the Smokehouse Ranch offers guests a chance to unwind and relax in a beautiful setting. By the way, Smokehouse is not spelled how it sounds. It's S-M-O-A-K house, H-O-U-S-C, not S-M-O-K-E. So, so you if you don't smell any barbecue, barbecue you don't up. smell barbecue, it's not, it's, that's because the Smokehouse is not the Smokehouse for smoking <laughs> meats, yes. Uh, the historic property offers private cabins that feature full kitchens, private bathrooms, central air, thankfully. If you're looking for a low-key vacation, you can explore the trails, meet animals, Go for a swim or go berry or apple picking. Or for a little more adventure, so the innkeepers can arrange a river trip for you where you can go kayaking, canoeing, or tour a dozen of the area's massive springs. This is one of the best areas in Florida to visit the springs. Great in the summertime. The quaint town of High Springs, known as Florida's antique capital, my favorite. Antique capital. We're, we're going to go around that, Heather. Uh, just kidding. It's also just a short drive down the road. Smokehouse is in Branford, Florida, about an hour's drive west from Gainesville. As we've told you before, Wikiwatchee is our most recommended place to kayak in Florida. You must um, book well in advance, especially on the weekends. But one of the other things that not a lot of people know about is they have mermaid shows that have been playing at Wikiwatchee Springs State Park. And that's about an hour north of Tampa since 1947. You may think that the mermaids are swimming in a tank, but it's actually the audience that's in the man-made structure. The mermaids are swimming in a natural spring. The 500-seat theater is embedded in the side of the spring, 16 feet below the surface. In 1946, Newton Perry, who was a former U.S. Navy man who trained SEALs to swim underwater in World War II, he zeroed in on Wikiwachi as a good site for a new business. He invented a method of breathing underwater from a hose supplying oxygen from an air compressor rather than from a tank strapped onto someone's back. In the shows, the mermaids and the mermen, called princes, princes discreetly take mouthfuls of air from their slender breathing tubes while they perform. So even with the air tubes, though, it's clear that being part of a mermaid is being able to hold your breath for quite a while. For one admission fee, park visitors can swim on the on-site water park, see an animal or reptile show, take boat rides down the Wikiwachi River, and where they may spot 
great blue herons, manatees, or alligators. So that's a, a super way to have a nice, cool summer weekend. It does get very, very busy on the weekends. Yeah, make um, reservations. Make reservations. And I believe the mermaid show, or the not the mermaid show, the water park will fill up and they will cut it off. So yeah. it's definitely something to make a reservation and check into before you um, drive out there. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere, but then you get there, there's a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. So definitely make those reservations ahead. You know, the water park there is a cool place. Great activity for the summer between the water park and the mermaid show, especially if you're there on a rainy afternoon. And it's it's a very, um, as we've mentioned before, the springs are about 72? 72 degrees 72 year, round. year round. So it is a very nice, cool spot. Another great off-the-beaten-path spot is Don Garlett's Museum of Drag Racing in Ocala. So Don was a very successful drag racer. If you're into racing, you probably recognize his name. And he has an absolutely incredible museum that he's set up in Ocala. Tickets are $20 for adults and reduced for children, military, and seniors. Has, it has a 4.8 rating on Google, and several people have told us that it's an amazing place to visit. It's 90 minutes from Daytona or Disney. Plan on at least a half a day. Uh, Don has a lots of dragsters from many eras there and a lot of classic cars as well. It's at least a half day trip. It's open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. The building isn't much on the outside. It's a pretty just metal looking building. The magic is on the inside. And some days you can actually meet Don yourself and get an autograph from him. He's a drag racing legend. Speaking of museums, over on the Space Coast is a place called the Valiant Air Command, which is an amazing warbird museum. Warbirds are retired historic combat aircraft that have been restored. It's in Titusville, near Cape Canaveral and NASA Kennedy Space Center. We visited there back during the pandemic, and we're just amazed at what they've got there in terms of aircraft and history. And a lot of the locals don't know about it. It's really off the beaten path. They have aircraft from before World War II, during World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the Cold War, and modern day. There's a C-47 and B-25 World War II bombers, a Douglas Scout bomber, a Russian MiG, a Grumman F-11, F-101, F-105, a B-52 cockpit section, an A-7, an A-6, F-14s, 15s, 16s, and a Blue Angels F-A-18, just to name a few. And there's lots of exhibits of firearms and World War II mem memorabilia as well. They have an active restoration team with up to five aircraft at any one point that they're restoring and adding to the museum's collection. The second Saturday of each month, they have a fly-in or drive-in breakfast between 8 and 10 a.m. For only $12, you get museum admission and breakfast, and you can see all the people flying in their own aircraft to the airstrip at the museum. If you're making a trip to the Space Coast, this is a must-do activity. We can't recommend it highly enough. I think it's terrific because you can you can take children in, and they literally can almost stand under these planes. They can touch them. There are ones outside. The information is astounding, and there's someone there who will answer all your Any questions, questions you that you yeah. have. Yeah, it's amazing. And they're generally place. veterans who have either, either flown them or pilots who have worked on them, things like that. It's terrific. Yeah, it's neat outside, too. You can see them working on them, taking these old planes and restoring them. It's just a total labor of love. And they've got some uh, really good local sponsorship, too. But it surprised us when we were there how few people knew about it. Uh, so that's something that if you're on the Space Coast, definitely go to Valiant Air Command. Bach Tower Gardens is a 250-acre contemplative garden and bird sanctuary located atop Iron Mountain, north of Lake Wales, Florida, United States. It's created by Edward Bach in the 1920s, formerly known as Bach Mountain Lake Sanctuary and Singing Tower. The garden attractions um, include the Singing Tower and its 60-bell carry-on, the Bach Excedra, Pinewood Estates, the Pine Ridge Trail, and a visitor center. The 205-foot Singing Tower was built on one of the highest points of a peninsula of Florida, 
estimated to be 295 feet or 90 meters above sea level. It's listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Tickets are $17 for adults, and they're open 365 days a year. It's actually dog-friendly, and you can bring a blanket and your hiking shoes for a three-and-a-half-mile walk if that interests you. They play the bells twice a day, and they have concert events throughout the year. This Friday, April 28th, they're doing a Taylor Swift carry-on concert. Most of us won't make it, but it'll be recorded. If you're looking for a different kind of beach, check out the town of Juneau Beach on the East Coast between Jupiter and West Palm Beach. From May through October, Juneau Beach is the densest sea turtle nesting ground in the world. Visit some of these endangered reptiles at Loggerhead Marine Life Center, which is a working sea turtle hospital, a learning facility that also hosts turtle walks on the beach. The city website says that Juneau Beach is home to unspoiled coastline, blissfully laid back vibes, and some of the Palm Beach's best residents, and that's the scores of nesting turtles. Located on a barrier island, it's between the intercoastal waterway and the Atlantic Ocean. Much of Juneau Beach daily life revolves around these two bodies of water from fishing to recreation to conservation. The Juneau Beach Pier is the main hub of activity in the town. On any given day, you'll see fishermen, selfie-snapping sightseers, and sunrise aficionados angling for the perfect viewing spot. Believe me, the locals say the sunrises here are second to none. And having lived on the West Coast, where we are, we get great sunsets. But the best East Coast, the gets, East the Coast gets the best sunrises. Mm-hmm. Juno Beach Park has excellent waves, and it's a popular spot for surfers and kiteboarders as well as swimmers. There's even a pier house with a bait shop, snack bar, and pole rental. So if you want to fish, you can do that too. You can enjoy a hike or a paddle through the maritime hammock and mangrove swamps at Juno Dunes National Area. It's 569 acres, so you will definitely be able to have some good paddling there. Like most of Florida, the best time to visit is October through May. Another best kept secret in Florida are its water parks with cable systems for wakeboarding, which will take me a second to explain. So first of all, what is wakeboarding? So imagine a traditional water skier being towed behind a boat or a jet ski, but using a board that looks more like a snowboard. But if you don't have access to somebody who can tow you, you can go to one of Florida's multiple water parks with a steel cable system, much like a ski lift at a snow skiing resort that will literally tow you around the lake in an oval. There's no boat needed. There are currently 13 of them around the state with a large concentration in central Florida between Tampa and Orlando, which is also a hotbed for water skiing. There's several on the lower East Coast from Miami up to West Palm Beach, one in Fort Myers and one in the Keys. If you're looking for something fun and relatively inexpensive to do on vacation, definitely give it a try. It's especially good for middle school and high schoolers. I've tried it. (laughs) It's not (laughs) easy. I didn't do well. It's not easy, but it's a great way to cool off. And the parks often have other amenities like kayak rentals, floating water obstacles, zip lines, and other activities. You won't know they're there unless you know they're there. This is one of those things you just won't come across on a main highway. And I'll put the links into various sites in the episode, which is usual. And it is a good way to cool off because you did spend most of your time I spent a lot of time, time underwater, underwater, underwater. But it's interesting. People, for those of her are wakeboarders, the people that were there said it's actually easier to ski behind a boat or jet ski than the cable system. Kind of a weird angle to pull. But it's a fun thing to go off and do. And it's a different kind of activity and great thing for kids to do, especially on a vacation, certainly on a hot day. And they have lessons. And it's just a... They're destinations and their fun things. A few of them are built on old limestone quarries, which is one of the ways they repurpose. The water's beautiful. The water's incredibly beautiful at those places. One of our favorite spots in Florida is the Florabama Bar, which is a famous and awesome beach bar located on the Florida-Alabama state line at the Panhandle and was featured in the Kenny Chesney song and video called 
Florabama. Uh, and this is one of those things, stay off the interstate. If you're driving from Florida, Alabama, and you're on the interstate, there's nothing on the interstate but interstate, and you're going to miss fun things like this. So it's literally on the beach as you cross the state line. It's the biggest and most, most authentic beach dive bar we've ever seen. So if you're not familiar with what a dive bar is, it's basically a rustic, authentic bar that's short of anything fancy, but full of character and authenticity. And it's generally where the locals go. The locals bar. Yeah, it's a fun place. It's owned by a couple of guys who have determined to keep it, keep it in the form that it's in and not turn it into some corporate moneymaker like maybe the Margaritaville places now. It's actually like a dock. And, you know, the floors are wood. wood, splintery wood, and you can see the sand coming up through it, all this different yeah, things. Yeah, it's very authentic. It's a neat place. They've got live music all day beginning at 2 p.m., and they go till close. And the drink and food prices are reasonable. We got beers for $6 and a dozen raw oysters for $17. And that was last summer, where many places it's, you know, 3 or 4 $5 an oyster. This is $1.50 or so. And it is right on the beach. You can take your, your drink out to the beach, enjoy the sand and the water. Multiple events throughout the year, including a beach rodeo, a triathlon, an Oktoberfest day, a fishing tournament, and the and the world famous mullet toss. It's not a hairstyle. It's not it's a, a hairstyle. Well, mullet is a hairstyle, but we're not throwing hairstyles. This is we're throwing they're throwing fish. You literally throw a dead mullet across the Florida Alabama state line, and whoever throws it the farthest wins. It's always the last full weekend of April, which this is actually this coming weekend, depending on when you listen to this podcast. All the proceeds go to charity and help benefit local people with substance issues. And the dead mullet ultimately get fed to the alligators at the local zoo. That's actually pretty good. It's a pretty good way to do it. I'm sure the alligators like that. As always, details will be in the episode description. Check us out on our YouTube channel, Florida Travel Fanatics, and our website at floridatravelfanatics.com. You can always reach out to us by Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and feel free to join our Facebook group. And if you could leave us a rating, a five-star rating, on your favorite podcast app, we would appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Sunny days ahead. Sunny days ahead.